0: Chapter nineteen of Dr. Thorne by Anthony Trollope. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain recording by Nick Whitley, Pearlie, United Kingdom Chapter nineteen The Duke of Omnium The Duke of Omnium was, as we have said, a bachelor. Not the less on that account did he on certain rare gala days entertain the beauty of the county at his magnificent rural seat or the female fashion of london in belgrave square but on this occasion the dinner at gatherum castle for such was the name of his mansion was to be confined to the lords of the creation it was to be one of those days on which he collected round his board all the notables of the county in order that his popularity might not wane or the established glory of his hospitable house become dim. On such an occasion it was not probable that Lord de Courcy would be one of the guests. The party indeed who went from Courcy Castle was not large and consisted of the Honourable George, Mr Moffat and Frank Gresham. They went in a tax-cart with a tandem horse, driven very knowingly by George de Courcy, and the fourth seat on the back of the vehicle was occupied by a servant who was to look after the horses at gatherum the honourable george drove either well or luckily for he reached the duke's house in safety but he drove very fast poor miss dunstable what would have been her lot had anything but good happened to that vehicle so richly freighted with her three lovers they did not quarrel as to the prize and all reached gatherum castle in good humour with each other the castle was a new building of white stone lately erected at an enormous cost by one of the first architects of the day it was an immense pile and seemed to cover ground enough for a moderate-sized town but nevertheless reports said that when it was completed the noble owner found that he had no rooms to live in, and that on this account, when disposed to study his own comfort, he resided in a house of perhaps one-tenth the size built by his grandfather in another county. Gatherum Castle would probably be called Italian in its style of architecture, though it may, I think, be doubted whether any such edifice, or anything like it, was ever seen in any part of Italy it was a vast edifice irregular in height or it appeared to be so having long wings on each side too high to be passed over by the eye as mere adjuncts to the mansion and a portico so large as to make the house behind it look like another building of a greater altitude this portico was supported by ionic columns and was in itself doubtless a beautiful structure it was approached by a flight of steps very broad and very grand but as an approach by a flight of steps hardly suits an englishman's house to the immediate entrance of which it is necessary that his carriage should drive there was another front door in one of the wings which was commonly used the carriage however could on very stupendously grand occasions The visits for instance of queens and kings and royal dukes be brought up under the portico as the steps had been so constructed as to admit of a road with a rather stiff ascent being made close in front of the wing up into the very porch opening from the porch was the grand hall which extended up to the top of the house it was magnificent indeed being decorated with many-coloured marbles and hung round with various trophies of the house of omnium banners were there and armour the sculptured busts of many noble progenitors full-length figures in marble of those who had been especially prominent and every monument of glory that wealth long years and great achievements could bring together if only a man could but live in his hall and be for ever happy there but the duke of omnium could not live happily in his hall and the fact was that the architect in contriving this magnificent entrance for his own honour and fame had destroyed the duke's house as regards most of the ordinary purposes of residence nevertheless gatherum castle is a very noble pile and standing as it does on an eminence has a very fine effect when seen from many a distant knoll and verdant wooded hill at seven o'clock mr de courcy and his friends got down from their drag at the smaller door for this was no day on which to mount up under the portico nor was that any suitable vehicle to have been entitled to such an honour frank felt some excitement a little stronger than that usual to him at such moments for he had never yet been in company with the duke of omnium and he rather puzzled himself to think on what points he would talk to the man who was the largest landowner in that county in which he himself had so great an interest he however made up his mind that he would allow the duke to choose his own subjects merely reserving to himself the right of pointing out how deficient in gorse-covers was west barsetshire that being the duke's division they were soon divested of their coats and hats and without entering on the magnificence of the great hall were conducted through rather a narrow passage into rather a small drawing-room small that is in proportion to the number of gentlemen there assembled there might be about thirty and frank was inclined to think that they were almost crowded a man came forward to greet them when their names were announced but our hero at once knew that he was not the duke for this man was fat and short whereas the duke was thin and tall there was a great hubbub going on for everybody seemed to be talking to his neighbour or in default of a neighbour to himself it was clear that the exalted rank of their host had put very little constraint on his guests tongues for they chatted away with as much freedom as farmers at an ordinary which is the duke at last frank contrived to whisper to his cousin oh he's not here said george i suppose he'll be in presently i believe he never shows till just before dinner Frank, of course, had nothing further to say, but he already began to feel himself a little snubbed. He thought that the Duke, Duke though he was, when he asked people to dinner, should be there to tell them that he was glad to see them. More people flashed into the room, and Frank found himself rather closely wedged in with a stout clergyman of his acquaintance. He was not badly off, for Mr. Athill was a friend of his own, who had held a living near greshamsbury lately however at the lamented decease of dr stanhope who had died of apoplexy at his villa in italy mr athel had been presented with the better preferment of eiderdown and had therefore removed to another part of the county he was somewhat of a bon vivant and a man who thoroughly understood dinner-parties and with much good nature he took frank under his special protection you stick to me mr gresham he said when we go into the dining-room i'm an old hand at the duke's dinners and know how to make a friend comfortable as well as myself but why doesn't the duke come in demanded frank he'll be here as soon as dinner is ready said mr athill or rather the dinner will be ready as soon as he is here i don't care therefore how soon he comes frank did not understand this but he had nothing to do but to wait and see how things went he was beginning to be impatient for the room was now nearly full and it seemed evident that no other guests were coming when suddenly a bell rang and a gong was sounded and at the same instant a door that had not yet been used flew open and a very plainly dressed plain tall man entered the room frank at once knew that he was at last in the presence of the duke of omnium but his grace late as he was in commencing the duties as host seemed in no hurry to make up for lost time he quietly stood on the rug with his back to the empty grate and spoke one or two words in a very low voice to one or two gentlemen who stood nearest to him the crowd in the meanwhile became suddenly silent frank when he found that the duke did not come and speak to him felt that he ought to go and speak to the duke but no one else did so and when he whispered his surprise to mr Athill, that gentleman told him that this was the duke's practice on all such occasions fothergill said the duke and it was the only word he had yet spoken out loud i believe we are ready for dinner now mr fothergill was the duke's land agent and he it was who had greeted frank and his friends at their entrance immediately the gong was again sounded and another door leading out of the drawing-room into the dining-room was opened the duke led the way and then the guests followed Stick close to me, Mr. Gresham, said Athol. We'll get about the middle of the table where we shall be cosy, and on the other side of the room out of this dreadful draught. I know the place well, Mr. Gresham. Stick to me. Mr. Athol, who was a pleasant, chatty companion, had hardly seated himself, and was talking to Frank as quickly as he could, when Mr. Fothergill, who sat at the bottom of the table, asked him to say grace it seemed to be quite out of the question that the duke should take any trouble with his guests whatever mr athel consequently dropped the word he was speaking and uttered a prayer if it was a prayer that they might all have grateful hearts for that which god was about to give them if it was a prayer as far as my own experience goes such utterances are seldom prayers seldom can be prayers and if not prayers what then to me it is unintelligible that the full tide of glibest chatter can be stopped at a moment in the midst of profuse good living and the giver thanked becomingly in words of heartfelt praise setting aside for the moment what one daily hears and sees may not one declare that a change so sudden is not within the compass of the human mind but then to such reasoning one cannot but add what one does hear and see one cannot but judge of the ceremony by the manner in which one sees it performed uttered that is and listened to clergymen there are one meets them now and then who endeavour to give to the dinner-table grace some of the solemnity of a church ritual and what is the effect much the same as though one were to be interrupted for a minute in the midst of one of our church liturgies to hear a drinking song and it will be argued that a man need be less thankful because at the moment of receiving he utters no thanksgiving or will it be thought that a man is made thankful because what is called a grace is uttered after dinner it can hardly be imagined that any one will so argue or so think dinner graces are probably the last remaining relic of certain daily services footnote one which the church in olden days enjoined nones complins, and vespers were others of the knowns and complines we have happily got quit and it might be well if we could get rid of the dinner graces also let any man ask himself whether on his own part they are acts of prayer and thanksgiving and if not that what then footnote one it is i know alleged that graces are said before dinner because our saviour uttered a blessing before his last supper i cannot say that the idea of such analogy is pleasing to me when the large party entered the dining-room one or two gentlemen might be seen to come in from some other door and set themselves at the table near to the duke's chair these were guests of his own who were staying in the house his particular friends the men with whom he lived the others were strangers whom he fed perhaps once a year in order that his name might be known in the land as that of one who distributed food and wine hospitably through the county the food and wine the attendance also and the view of the vast repository of plate he vouchsafed willingly to his county neighbours but it was beyond his good nature to talk to them to judge by the present appearance of most of them they were quite as well satisfied to be left alone frank was altogether a stranger there but mr athill knew every one at the table that's apjohn said he don't you know mr apjohn the attorney from barchester he's always here he does some of fothergill's law business and makes himself useful if any fellow knows the value of a good dinner he does you'll see that the duke's hospitality will not be thrown away on him it's very much thrown away upon me i know said frank who could not at all put up with the idea of sitting down to dinner without having been spoken to by his host oh nonsense said his clerical friend you'll enjoy yourself amazingly by and by there is not such champagne in any other house in barsetshire and then the claret and mr athel pressed his lips together and gently shook his head meaning to signify by the motion that the claret of gatherum castle was sufficient atonement for any penance which a man might have to go through in his mode of obtaining it who's that funny little man sitting there next but one to mr de courcy i never saw such a queer fellow in my life don't you know old Bolus? Well, I thought every one in Barsetshire knew bolus. You especially should do so as he is such a dear friend of Dr. Thorne. A dear friend of Dr. Thorne? Yes, he was apothecary at scarrington in the old days before Dr. Filgrave came into vogue. I remember when bolus was thought to be a very good sort of doctor. Is he, is he, whispered Frank, is he by way of a gentleman <laughs> well i suppose we must be charitable and say that he is quite as good at any rate as many others there are here and mr athol as he spoke whispered into frank's ear you see there's finney here another barchester attorney now i really think where finney goes bolus may go too the more the merrier i suppose said frank well something a little like that i wonder why thorne is not here i'm sure he was asked perhaps he did not particularly wish to meet finney and bolus do you know mr Assel? i think he was quite right not to come as for myself i wish i was anywhere else <laughs> you don't know the duke's ways yet and what's more you're young you happy fellow but thorne should have more sense he ought to show himself here the gormandizing was now going on at a tremendous rate though the volubility of their tongues had been for a while stopped by the first shock of the duke's presence the guests seemed to feel no such constraint upon their teeth they fed one may almost say rapidly, and gave their orders to the servants in an eager manner much more impressive than that usual at smaller parties mr Apchon, who sat immediately opposite to frank had by some well-planned manoeuvre contrived to get before him the jowl of a salmon but unfortunately he was not for a while equally successful in the article of sauce a very limited portion so at least thought mr apjohn had been put on his plate and a servant with a huge sauce tureen absolutely passed behind his back inattentive to his audible requests poor mr apjohn in his despair turned round to arrest the man by his coat-tails but he was a moment too late and all but fell backwards on the floor as he righted himself he muttered an anathema and looked with a face of anguish at his plate anything the matter apjohn said mr fothergill kindly seeing the utter despair written on the poor man's countenance can i get anything for you the sauce said mr apjohn in a voice that would have melted a hermit and as he looked at mr fothergill he pointed at the now distant sinner who was dispensing his melted ambrosia at least ten heads upwards away from the unfortunate supplicant mr fothergill however knew where to look for balm for such wounds and in a minute or two mr apjohn was employed quite to his heart's content well said frank to his neighbour it may be very well once in a way but i think that on the whole dr thorne is right my dear mr gresham see the world on all sides said mr athel who had also been somewhat intent on the gratification of his own appetite, though with an energy less evident than that of the gentleman opposite. See the world on all sides if you have an opportunity, and believe me, a good dinner now and then is a very good thing. Yes, but I don't like eating it with hogs. Whish, softly, softly, Mr. Gresham, or you'll disturb Mr. Apjohn's digestion upon my word he'll want it all before he has done now i like this kind of thing once in a way do you said frank in a tone that was almost savage yes indeed i do one sees so much character and after all what harm does it do my idea is that people should live with those whose society is pleasant to them live yes mr gresham i agree with you there it wouldn't do for me to live with the duke of omnium i shouldn't understand or probably approve his ways nor should i perhaps much like the constant presence of mr Apjohn. but now and then once in a year or so i do own i like to see them both here's the cup now whatever you do mr gresham don't pass the cup without tasting it and so the dinner passed on slowly enough as frank thought but all too quickly for mr apjohn it passed away and the wine came circulating freely the tongues again were loosed the teeth being released from their labours and under the influence of the claret the duke's presence was forgotten but very speedily the coffee was brought this will soon be over now said frank to himself thankfully for though he by no means despised good claret he had lost his temper too completely to enjoy it at the present moment but he was much mistaken the farce as yet was only at its commencement the duke took his cup of coffee and so did the few friends who sat close to him but the beverage did not seem to be in great request with the majority of the guests when the duke had taken his modicum he rose up and silently retired saying no word and making no sign and then the farce commenced now gentlemen said mr fothergill cheerily we are all right eb john is there claret there Mr Bolus, I know you stick to the Madeira. You are quite right, for there isn't much of it left, and my belief is there'll never be more like it. And so the Duke's hospitality went on, and the Duke's guests drank merrily for the next two hours. Shan't we see any more of him? asked Frank. Any more of whom? said Mr Athel. Of the Duke. Oh no, you'll see no more of him he always goes when the coffee comes it's brought in as an excuse we've had enough of the light of his countenance to last till next year the duke and i are excellent friends and have been so these fifteen years but i never see more of him than that i shall go away said frank nonsense mr de courcy and your other friend won't stir for this hour yet i don't care i shall walk on and they may catch me i may be wrong but it seems to me that a man insults me when he asks me to dine with him and never speaks to me i don't care if he be ten times duke of omnium he can't be more than a gentleman and as such i am his equal and then having thus given vent to his feelings in somewhat high-flown language he walked forth and trudged away along the road towards courcy frank gresham had been born and bred a conservative whereas the duke of omnium was well known as a consistent whig there is no one so devoutly resolved to admit of no superior as your conservative born and bred no one so inclined to high domestic despotism as your thoroughgoing consistent old whig when he had proceeded about six miles frank was picked up by his friends but even then his anger had hardly cooled. Was the Duke as civil as ever when you took your leave of him? said he to his cousin George, as he took his seat on the drag. The Duke was juiced June ju- wine, let tell you that, old feller, cupped out the Honourable George, as he touched up the leader under the flank. End of chapter 19 Recording by Nick Whitley, Purley, United Kingdom.